Hello, microbe friends. I'm Dr. Justine Dees, and welcome to the Joyful Microbe Podcast. It's the show all about the microbes we encounter in our daily lives. Thank you so much for tuning in. I can't wait to share this show with you. Today we're diving into a topic that's essential to the world of microbiology, lab coats. They're not just a piece of clothing, they're a symbol of professionalism and safety for scientists. But are they living up to their full potential? Let's find out. Lab coats are an integral part of the world of microbiology, serving as a vital piece of personal protective equipment, or PPE. When we envision a microbiologist at work wearing their crisp lab coat, we often associate it with professionalism and scientific rigor. However, the reality is that lab coats, while essential, don't always live up to expectations. For many scientists, they can be a source of frustration rather than confidence. I know that... The time that I spent at the lab bench, my lab coat definitely gave me some frustrations. (laughs) I had issues with the sleeves and issues with buttons or just getting caught on things. So it's definitely the case that they can be a little bit frustrating at times. And this is why Dr. Derek Miller, founder of Genius Lab Gear, began the Lab Coat Project. Through this project, Derek aims to create lab coats that not only protect, but empower scientists by addressing their unique challenges. Through extensive feedback from over 1,500 scientists, Derek designed lab coats for men and women that will work in various scientific environments, emphasizing comfort and functionality. In this episode, Derek shares his vision for this innovative project. Focusing on improving external challenges like productivity and safety while also addressing internal issues related to personal comfort and even self-image. Our conversation offers insights into an often overlooked aspect of scientific research attire and highlights the potential impact of this initiative on scientists' lives. We'll discuss why Derek started the Lab Coat Project, the challenges scientists face with lab coats, the importance of lab coats and safety, and we'll talk specifically about microbiology labs there, and what scientists want in a lab coat based on Derek's survey of over 1,500 scientists and the improved lab coat design from the Lab Coat Project. So whether you're a scientist or just curious about the world of microbiology, This episode is packed with valuable insights. All right, let's get on to the interview. Hi, Derek. Thanks so much for coming on the Joyful Microbe podcast. Yeah, great to be here, Justine. 
So I am very excited to talk to you today because you have a really interesting project called the Lab Coat Project. So this podcast will be all about lab coats. But before we get into that, can you just tell everyone what got you interested in science and how did you end up in materials science and engineering and then transitioning into starting your company, Genius Lab Gear, which is now launching the Lab Co project? <laughs> That's like a, maybe a 20-year story, so I'll yeah. try not to tell all of it. Um, I, well, you can I take think, your time. Yeah. Just, you know, we want to hear how yep. you got into all of it. I think, uh, honestly, just like a lot of little kids, like I wanted to be an astronaut when I grew up, uh, that was just got into my head some, at some point and I really was into space stuff. And, uh, so going into college, I really wanted to do aerospace engineering. Uh, and that was the direction I was headed. Uh, but then I met a professor at, uh, at Michigan state who was doing, uh, materials science for aerospace alloys. And I was like, well, that's pretty close. <laughs> and it sounded interesting. And so I got into materials uh, classes my freshman year, and I really never looked back. I thought material science was the coolest thing I'd ever seen before. And it's like really the limiting factor in a lot of fields uh, and a lot of um, engineering fields and also nanotechnology and, and all kinds of other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then kind of over time, I drifted towards, uh, I really liked electronic materials. And I um, ended up uh, doing a few internships um, at NASA, just doing you know, <laughs> summer internships with them, which were on like aerogels and ceramics. And mm. uh, I thought that was super cool too. So I, in, in a way I got to you know get pretty close to the space stuff and meet some astronauts through yeah. those internships uh, along okay. my original path, but you know, a little bit of a parallel path that uh, I just really, really loved. And so material science has always been um, what I've been really passionate about and what I followed. Mm-hmm. And that's also where I did a lot of my research. Uh, it started, uh, you know, really the first time I wore lab, lab coats were doing um, hydrogel synthesis uh, and aerogel synthesis in, uh, in wet chemistry labs. And that's really where my frustrations with lab coats started, you know, way mm-hmm. back when I was probably uh, 19 years old. And then um, over time I went, you know, it kind of got past that. I went and got my first job and started working uh, after grad school. And uh, then I eventually I kind of realized that looking back at my research experiences, there were a lot of small frustrations and, and things that just were inefficient and made me not want to work in the lab every day. Mm-hmm. And I, at the time I just kind of dismissed them, but I realized later that those were actually kind of a big issue uh, and systemic issues that Hmm. Uh, once I got older and more into a professional environment, I was like, we should fix these and nobody is. And so that's when I decided to start genius lab gear, just looking at a few, uh, small frustrations that, uh, people in laboratories face that kind of the big, um, laboratory supply companies aren't really focusing on, you know, really about the user experience and making people's day better while they're at work, which I don't Hmm. think we really have in, in science. Yeah. Well, so what are, what were a few of those frustrations that you experienced um, that you kind of ended up developing some products around? A lot of it. So I spent a lot of time working in fume hoods, and I, I kind of hated working in a fume hood. It felt like the ergonomics were bad. Everything was um, not organized well. It was kind of cluttered. Um, 
it was usually dirty. It was more of a chemistry focused one, not so much a life science focused uh, fume hood. And so I really got thinking about uh, organizational tools, things to organize it, make it cleaner, keep things from spilling over. Uh, for one instance, my lab coat would often like not the sleeves would knock over um, glass mm. uh, graduated cylinders and spill chemicals everywhere. And I just really wanted more like little gadgets and organizing tools in the fume hood. So that's kind of where I got started. Um, at, at one point, I was kind of in the early stages. I, I was able to visit a lab, a genomics lab at UNC um, in in Durham, and they were telling me about some of the problems they had in their lab. And I was kind of looking for ideas of problems to solve and, and ways to fix them. And uh, actually, while they were telling about me about some other problems, I spotted over in the corner, um, there was a woman working in a fume hood and she was exchanging cell media in a, in a circular um, cell culture dish. And she was propping it up on an old piece of styrofoam from the freezer. And so I, I went and asked her about it and she said, um, I said, do you always use a styrofoam to prop this up? And she said, yes. And I said, do you ever spill this? And she says, yes, all the time. Uh, ah. But we need, we need to prop it up so that we can get the last little bits out. Uh, and so that was like one of the first laboratory products I made. Uh, I, I went and 3D printed uh, some basically stands for the cell culture plates and went through a few iterations with them. And then I said, okay, I, I think I'm going to make some of these and went and found a way to get them manufactured out of, um, instead of, you know, 3D printed plastic, get, get them manufactured out of uh, anodized aluminum. And I went back three months later to deliver them like the final product as a gift for helping me test them. And they were still using the 3D printed one from three months earlier that was like being <laughs> corroded and broken down by the UV and it, like the labels were falling off and it was gross, but they said they kept fighting over it because uh, they kept moving it back and forth between different fume hoods because it was so useful. And uh, so that was like one of the first products I made. And it's actually for microbiology too, uh, which is um, just a, a simple little thing to help you keep your cell culture dishes upright and at a good angle mm -hmm. to exchange media without spilling it everywhere. So that's like a good little example of something that just makes mm -hmm. it easier. And if you don't spill things, you save time, you save money, and everybody's mm -hmm. a little bit happier while they're at work. Yeah. I I feel like everybody has that like experience of working in a lab. If if you've worked in a lab that you kind of find you scrounge around for some sort of thing that mm -hmm. like styrofoam or a box or some other tool that has some other purpose and then use it for your specific purpose and it's like it's obviously not designed for that but you kind of get scrappy with stuff, but it's nice to have a tool, a gadget that actually does exactly the thing that you're wanting to do so that it doesn't fail on you. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it sounds yeah. also your background in material science has perfectly prepared you for this type of work and designing these different gadgets that, you know, come from different materials. So I think that's really cool and um, a neat way to see you use your skills today. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. And it's funny. I, I do want to go back to your story because um, I just have to mention that my brother is, um, he's in aerospace engineering and um, he, he went into that obviously, but it's kind of neat to hear that, um, you know, you, you had that as something you were really interested in and, 
did internships at NASA, and he, he worked at the United Space Alliance at NASA for a few years. So I just wanted to give a little shout out to my brother, <laughs> you <laughs> know, because I do love that. Love hearing that kind of connection. Um, but so obviously, you know, you found issues with lab coats and sleeves are. I feel like every everybody that's ever had to wear a lab coat, at one point they probably wore one that had the dangling sleeves. And that was something that really annoyed me about lab coats was having the the sleeve that was not, you know, close to your wrist. And so, but you have to have it so that it covers your arm. But and so in my first job as a out of college as a microbiology lab technician at a medical supply manufacturer, I did quality control. And I mean, like any other job in a lab, you don't want to drag your sleeves through the petri dishes or whatever else you're working with. And so mm-hmm. our little way of fixing that issue was to tape our sleeves. So you can imagine how much tape we went oh, no. through. Yeah. Um, we would every single day, you know, put on our lab coats. And I mean, this is how they taught us to do it at this, you know, big company. And they're like, here, um, you know, take a little piece, couple of pieces of tape and just like get the sleeve, you know, taped up so that it wasn't hanging at all. And um, so it's kind of funny because <laughs> like eventually we did get some lab coats that had sleeves that were like a cuffed uh, a sleeve that was, you know, close to your wrist and it had like a stretchy, I don't even know. Is that a cuffed sleeve? I'm sure you know all yeah, the terms. A knit, a knit cuff is what they call it. A knit cuff sleeve. Yeah. And that was my favorite lab coat from that point on. <laughs> I was like, I will work with no other lab coat. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, anyways, are, but yeah, go ahead. Th- those are funny because a lot of people don't want them until they've used them and then they yeah. never go back. There's very few people who who use them and then say, oh, no, I want to go back to the straight straight cuff. Yeah, it's almost like the straight cuff is what you see and that's what you assume everyone wears and Mm -hmm. it looks like a scientist. And then you try the other kind and you're like, oh, but this is so much more functional. (laughs) Yeah, it's just totally a better solution. Yeah, yeah, but... So let's go back to, you know, what, besides sleeves, what made you want to start the Lab Coat Project? And tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, I think, I mean, the frustrations were really in, in grad school when I was on my own. Uh, you know, I had a lab almost to myself at that point because a bunch of people just graduated. And I was just given this one lab coat when I had started my first year. And it was just like whatever they had laying around. It was way too big. It had, you know, three big square pockets, um, plastic buttons. It didn't fit me very well. It was, the, you know, the sleeves were too short, even though the body was like way too big on me somehow. Um, and I'm just like a av- very average size person. So there's no reason that like the average lab coat off the shelf wouldn't, uh, shouldn't like fit me at least okay. And um, over time, I just kind of stopped wearing it because it it didn't make me feel good. It made me feel like a blob. I would, like it, we talked about, I would knock things over in the fume hood with the sleeves. Mm. My skin was exposed at my wrist all the time anyway. So I was like, this isn't actually helping that much. Um, and I, it just wasn't even, even the pockets weren't that useful. Um, and so I just 
kind of stopped wearing it unless I was really working with something dangerous. Then I would put it on just for a little bit and then I would take it off pretty much right after. And that was a problem that was my fault, I guess, but it was also like in, it was also created a problem that was created by really poor lab coat design. Um, and then fast forward, just, you know, I, and I didn't do anything about it at the time. And I think like a lot of grad students, I didn't even think to go look for a better one. I, hmm. I didn't think it was, it just never crossed my mind to even go online and search for a better lab coat. And I kind of felt like, well, I don't want to waste my advisor's money. You know, it, money's tied in the lab. Why should we go buy another, you know, 30, 40, $50 lab coat if I already have this one was my mindset. And so mm. I just, you know, graduated and I never really wore one that much. And luckily I got lucky and uh, didn't have to um, regret that decision with any, you know, emergencies or, or chemical spills. But not everyone's uh, that lucky, especially over a long career. Usually you're going to get hit at least once or twice with, with something. And uh, hopefully you have the protection when that happens. And I kind of forgot about the problem. I mean, it, was, it always kind of sat with me in a bad way but I couldn't do anything about it. And then, you know, I started Genius Lab Gear um, many years later, starting to solve some problems, made some much smaller products that were um, helping to kind of build the base and build the brand a little bit and get more exposure and also getting those financial resources and getting the the store set up so that we could actually start to approach this problem was, was a big deal for me. And so I, I got to the point where I was thinking, you know, my, my business is still extremely small, but I think it's like big enough to at least make a lab coat that's better than what most people use every day. And, um, but I couldn't figure out how am I going to design it because I'm not an apparel designer and I only worked in, you know, one type of chemistry lab. So how do I make sure it's good for microbiology and good for, um, genomics and good for physics and, and any other thing that you're mm-hmm. going to use it for. And so that's when I started thinking about, well, uh, the way a scientist would approach this problem is they would get data and then they would analyze <laughs> the data and then they would uh, figure out a solution to the, the problem that's presented by the data. And I was just on a really long drive and thinking about it, mulling it over. And I, I kind of just decided that about a thousand people's feedback would probably be enough to make a really good lab coat that would cover most people's problems uh, and, and hopefully fix them if we could find clever solutions for that. And so that's when I, I built a survey and I started putting it out there with a goal of saying, you know, if we can get to a thousand responses, we will start prototyping a lab coat. And then if that goes well and we can solve a lot of these problems, then we will try to uh, crowdfund the manufacturing of the lab coat. Hmm. And so that's, uh, I started the survey, I think in like late 2021, uh, it took maybe eight to 10 months to get the thousand responses. And then we started prototyping it after that. And so now fast forward another year or so of prototyping and testing and working with different manufacturers. Uh, we're here today and we've got the prototypes and we're ready to move on to the crowdfunding stage. <laughs> That's so exciting. Um, and I love that you kind of thought about it as a scientist. And what would a scientist do? Well, a scientist would, you know, collect some guess. data. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And um, so from your survey, what were some of the challenges that scientists said that they faced with the traditional lab coats? 
It was, you know, it was highly varied based on what your experiences were with lab coats and it, because everybody's lab coat is also different and it even varied by country uh, to some extent. I'd say overall Europe has better lab coats than the United States does is one thing that I learned. Um, hmm. In the United States, the typical challenge is our uh, one, a lot of the institutions have contracts with um, lab coat companies that also launder them. And they have very limited sizing. You know, you walk into a lab, your advisor says, we're going to order you a new lab coat. You say, great. And they say, what size, small, medium, large, and Excel. Uh, and you say, um, I don't know. Like My, my <laughs> one t-shirt's a small, my other one, I'm a large. I have no yeah. idea. And so you just guess and you hope it's good. And a lot of times I don't even offer, you know, any kind of returns or exchanges. And uh, you get stuck with something that doesn't fit very well. And the fit is uh, something that I knew was a problem, but I didn't fully appreciate until I, I read a lot of the comments. Um, and I could, mm. I could really like, I guess, split the feedback into two groups. There's one that's kind of the functional, the productivity aspect of it. Those are, I label those external problems. Uh, and those are things like um, things fall out of your pockets every time you bend over. Uh, so your pens just spill out all, all over the floor. So they needed, um, so I mean, what we do on the prototype is we added stitching and, and specifically sized pockets that hold things better. Uh, there's those side vents on their hips that sometimes let you reach uh, into your pants pocket to get your phone out or something quickly, mm-hmm. which not all lab coats have, but the ones that do, people complain that they get caught on doorknobs and equipment and then the tear. And <laughs> I had it's just that like, happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so <laughs> like for that one, we added little zippers on the side so you can keep them closed. And it's also a little bit safe for that way too. Uh, keep them closed mm. until you need it and then grab your phone out quickly. Um, even like the position of the pockets, depending on your body type and the fit of your lab coat, sometimes uh, they're hard to get to if you're standing or sitting in certain types of chairs um, or in certain positions. And then the other kind of productivity things are more along the lines of uh, the safety where in the United States, I'd say 70% of people wear a open lapel lapel collar lab coat, kind of like a, a medical coat is what we would normally call it. And they have this big V of their chest that's exposed to any kind of chemical splashes or fires. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really wanted to change that with a, a you know, a higher collar. And, but the, the data came out that most people actually just wanted the open lapel. They didn't want the higher collar. And so I wrestled with that. I didn't really want to release one that, that had a, a low collar like that. So we made it convertible. Um, that it starts down and you can wear it like the, the medical lab coat and then you can button it up all the way to the top if you want mm. the, the extra protection. Um, and then like the sleeves is another thing. It, it's a safety thing, but it's also a productivity thing. If you are constantly worried about dipping your sleeves into things, then you're going to work slower. You might have spills to clean up. You might have extra things to decontaminate uh, or sterilize that you otherwise wouldn't and it can just slow you down in your work. So those were kind of the, the the productivity things. And that's why I started the project the first time. But it really turned into more of a, a an internal problem of uh, f- being frustrated about your work or even affecting your own self-image. And that mostly revolved around fit. And so the fit problems were uh, across both men and women, but the women really had uh, much more... Uh, I guess, much amplified problems with the fits. And a lot of that comes down to uh, having to order a unisex lab coat. So Mm. (laughs) there were, I don't know, 10, 15 women in the survey that said they have to wear a unisex lab coat, aka a men's lab coat. 
uh, <laughs> calling out that the manufacturers are just trying to get away with um, selling a men's lab coat to everybody so that they don't have to stock two types. And uh, those unisex lab coats just are really a cylinder. If you if you laid them out on the table, yeah. and push them flat, it's just got straight sides. And that is fits most men okay, and it just does not fit most women well at all. And what the the probably the overarching theme of women's uh, problems with lab coats is that they have to pick that cylinder based on the widest part of their body. Mm. And so if they're a pear shaped, uh, if they have a pear shaped body, then they pick a, they might have to size up three or four sizes even from what their normal clothes would be, uh, just Mm -hmm. to accommodate, um, their hips. But if they're more of like a, like an apple shaped body, they have to do the opposite. And then they have way too much fabric at their hips. And Mm -hmm. so we can try to solve that in a couple of ways with the fit. And that's what we've really used this data to do is say, um, here's how a men's lab coat should fit. And it tends to be more of a V shape, um, a little bit wider shoulders and a little bit narrower um, through the hips. And then that also changes across the sizes. And then the women's lab coat, the most important thing is that it flares at the hips. And so we built in like several inches of flare at the hips so that when you're both sitting, um, bending, any kind of motion, a lot of women said they would pop buttons open sometimes uh, because of the the extra tension on it. And so by flaring the hips, we solve a lot of those problems. And then uh, we don't have to make the shoulders so big. And then the waist is another thing that women love to have a slim waist if they can. Uh, but a lot of lab coats just can't give that. And so we built in a uh, basically a hidden belt that can be tightened up to about eight inches from the, uh, the original waist size to really pull it in mm. if you want it to look more of like the hourglass shape. And so, um, so far... So good. Uh, we've had 30 beta testers try all these features, adjusted the sizing very slightly. And um, most of them have said that it is the best lab coat that they've ever worn. So, so far, so mm-hmm. good. And we're just uh, making a few other design changes along the way uh, right before we launch it. Hmm. Well, gosh, there was a lot there um, <laughs> to think about. But um, I mean, I guess the biggest thing that it made me think is it's kind of wild to think about that a lab coat for a scientist is the thing that you will wear daily if you work at the lab bench (laughs) and Mm -hmm. you're stuck with the same one. I mean, I don't even think a lot of scientists get to have more than one, but you're putting this thing on every single day. And if it doesn't fit well, it does, it can change for, for me at least, wearing clothes is an expression of who I am. And, you know, the clothes that I wear, I choose because I want to look a certain way. And it's, <laughs> you know, when you put that lab coat on, it's, it's like, it, it can be kind of, I don't know, it can bring you down, I guess, you know, especially when being a woman and having just like this giant thing draped over you. <laughs> <laughs> like covers up everything, you know, you felt cute when you got to work until you put the lab coat on. But it's, you know, but then it's like having the function issue too. Um, I mean, I think for me, it was always the sleeves were the biggest thing and um, having the 
the Nick Cuff like fixed that for me. But yeah, I mean, I remember walking, you know, quickly through the lab and getting caught on stuff because I just mm-hmm. have the tendency of like I'll <laughs> bump into <laughs> things, you know. And then like if there's a doorknob or something and you're rushing out the door, the doorknob will catch you and then <laughs> Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think, exactly. I don't know if it's happened to me, but I know I've seen ripped lab coats, you know, right there on the side where that vent is, where it got hung on something. Exactly. So it is very much an issue. And with this piece of, you know, personal protective equipment that we really sh- should be wearing in the lab. So I think it's, you know, I think it, it's important what you're doing and, um, being able to f- approach it and think about it in those two ways and the external and the internal issues um, is smart. And, and I think that, you know, it makes a lot of sense. I hadn't really thought that much about the internal issues. Like, like you said, you hadn't either um, until you brought that up. And it's like, yeah, that is kind of frustrating to go to work and have to put this ugly thing on every day so mm-hmm. yeah, um, i'm really i'm really trying to push that and drive that home especially to the like the lab managers the professors the the pis who control you know control where they spend their money on lab coats and or, or not spending the money on lab coats and showing them that it can actually affect like it's just one more thing going wrong that could eventually be the straw that breaks the camel's back per se to like somebody actually just quits or stops going into the lab because they, they run into so many problems that they just not a place that is fun to be. And, um, and I've, you know, there's a ton of quotes that I'm, I'm publishing from the survey respondents also showing exactly how much this can affect people, uh, you know, day to day at work. And I'm just really Mm -hmm. trying to highlight that issue that it's not just about adding more pockets. It's about feeling good um, while you're working and it also preventing some of our you know, smartest people from leaving science just because um, they don't feel good while they're working in a lab. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, just safety issues too. Um, it's You want to prevent people from leaving, but also people from being injured because mm-hmm. they didn't wear their lab coat because it was non-functional or, you know, only semi-functional. So, um, I think that will be very helpful and, you know, cause, cause if it's something that you actually don't mind wearing, then you're more likely to put it on. Mm -hmm. So, and then you're going to be protected from chemical spills and getting, you know, in microbiology, getting, you know, these organisms on your clothing. So, um, which kind of brings up, you know, since this is a microbiology podcast, um, I thought it would be interesting to hear your perspective on because you've done a lot of research on lab coats. And it's something I I mean, it's like you think about it in on like the big level of, of wearing a lab coat keeps your clothes clean and, um, you know, protects you. But I, I kind of want to hear you discuss the role of lab coats in maintaining a clean and safe environment for microbiology research. Definitely. Yeah. And, and again, like I, I don't have experience in a microbiology laboratory, but I have plenty of uh, survey comments and things to go off of and, and uh, mm-hmm. other comments throughout the course of the project that I've collected. 
And the thing that, so in a chemical laboratory, you know, normally you're just worried about the chemicals getting onto you, but in uh, any kind of life sciences laboratory, you're also worried about you getting onto the, the, onto your work. Uh, it goes both ways, right? And so you obviously don't want whatever you're working on to get onto your skin and potentially, um, you know, getting sick or spreading it around to the rest of your, uh, your other samples. But one thing that I keep seeing pictures of, and you go on social media and look up um, microbiology, people in labs, a lot of them roll up their sleeves all the time when they work in uh, with cell culture dishes. Hmm. And they do that so that they don't, just what you said, they don't dip into it and contaminate it. But also at the same time, you know, your hands and your wrists are always shedding skin and hairs and all kinds of other cells um, constantly. And mm -hmm. there's a good chance that you are shedding something into your experiment. And that's another thing that we want to uh, avoid. And so instead of rolling up your sleeves, which a lot of people in the survey said that they, they do, and but they explained it because they don't, it's not because they like the look, it's because the sleeves are poorly designed. And a lot of other people who have the knit cuff sleeves said that they are required to have the knit cuffs because they work with cells and they have to have um, their wrist covered because of that contamination issue. And so the sleeves are really, I think the biggest thing to get right in a microbiology lab and just having the knit cuffs doesn't necessarily fix the problem. If the sleeves are still way too big, uh, yes. it can still hang down a few inches, right? The sleeves so, can be huge. On yeah. Those lab coats, yeah. Even the knit cuff. Yeah. And so, uh, we, you know, took a bunch of measurements from different people and looked at, you know, actual wrist sizes and made sure and, and forearm sizes. And we, mm. we tapered down the, the forearms and the wrists by um, up to two inches, depending on the size, to really get it much more slim so it doesn't hang out in, into anything. And the sleeves were actually in the, in the beta tester responses, which is from just the 30 people that actually tested them. I think 29 out of 30 said, don't change anything about the sleeves. They are perfect. And these are the best sleeves I've ever had because, <laughs> because they are tapered down. Uh, a lot and they they just really don't get in your way and that's mm -hmm. that's all we really want is the lab coat the best lab coat is the one you don't even notice you're wearing it's the one that doesn't get in your way and that's what i think is is really important um and then there's you know past the sleeves there's a ton of other things um about a lab coat that makes it good or bad for microbiology research uh one of those things is how do you clean the lab coat? So depending on what you buy, some things you're allowed to bleach, some things you can't bleach. Uh, a lot of the survey respondents said that whatever you make, we have to be able to bleach it. So if it's a blue one and mm. you probably can't bleach it, if it's made out of something that has a coating and the coating gets destroyed with bleach, then we also can't use that or at least the coating doesn't function anymore. Uh, and so, that's one of the reasons we chose 100% cotton and white in this first version is because uh, that is compatible with a lot of microbiology labs who need to be able to bleach their lab coats and also autoclave their lab coats is another important mm. thing that, that people often do. And if it's got any plastic buttons on it, for instance, um, you can't autoclave it or they might warp a little bit or sometimes even melt. And so we made sure to use metal snaps on the front, um, metal zippers and, and such so that it's autoclavable. Um, and then the last thing with the cotton is we made sure it was like a really dense weave. 
So cotton's breathable, not necessarily because of the weave, but because the fibers themselves are, are porous. Um, but we made a very dense weave so that the, the spaces in between fibers don't um, move around a lot. There's not a lot of openings in there. And so even though it's a very lightweight lab coat, uh, the fiber, like the thread count's very high. And so it does a, mm-hmm. a better job than a lot of um, even thicker lab coats sometimes at preventing things from coming back and forth. And so, and that being said, um, a lot of people do prefer to wear like a polyester lab coat because mm-hmm. it is better as a fluid barrier than cotton is, and it depends what you're working with. Um, but uh, a lot of those also can't be used around flames. And I know a lot of microbiolo- mm-hmm. microbiologists use Bunsen yeah, burners yeah. for sterility. And so you really should not be using anything with polyester um, around a Bunsen burner just because cotton will burn, but polyester will melt and it will melt onto your skin. And if your Uh, entire lab coat melts onto your skin, you are trapped inside that. So that is what we want to avoid. Wow. Yeah. Well, those are, those are all really good things to think about. And, um, you said the tapered sleeve. I think that's really smart because, um, like you said, it's like the knit cuff doesn't solve the issue entirely. It helps it a lot, but <clears throat> the the sleeve itself beyond the knit cuff, when you get above the knit cuff, then it, the sleeve just like blouses out mm-hmm. <laughs> a whole lot. Exactly. I remember that. And they're long too. I mean, at least for my the size that I was wearing and everything, it was like the arms were so long. <laughs> So then you end up with this like, you know, this amount of this large amount of fabric that's, you know, still kind of sticking out. But um, and then also, yeah, thinking about it needs to be bleached. It needs to be able to be bleached and autoclaved. Um, So I think those are all those are interesting things to think about and, and smart that you've included that and. You know, doing the survey, of course, allowed you to figure these things out and find out from a microbiologist like what they really need. Um, so was there did you have any specific feedback that stuck out to you that came specifically from microbiologists or any yeah, quotes got, that you could share? Yeah, there's a few quotes um, that I, I pulled out of people that mentioned microbiology specifically. Um, and it, it kind of just reinforces what we just talked about. Uh, the first person says, I work in a microbiology lab, so lab coats need to be able to be autoclaved before taken out of the lab to be cleaned. Um, but I work with a flame often, so fire resistance would be nice. Mainly the sleeves are a problem for me. I keep knocking stuff over. I don't feel the need to have a super well-fitted lab coat, but it would be nice uh, if there were female, mm. mo- female models, as I feel like lab coats are always modeled for men. Uh, which, you know, that just really hits every, every single point we've talked about. Yeah. <laughs> um, an- another one says, uh, I get holes in them near the buttons where I, I lean over the bench and sash so quickly. Uh, the pockets are falling apart where I use them. So things start to fall out of them. Uh, yeah. The lab coat fits at the top and the sleeves are good, but uh, it's not big enough at the hips for me to button it all the way around. Um, and then I wish the pockets were deep enough for pipettes to safely be uh, in them without risking them falling out. And uh, that's one other thing we were able to do is we we built in basically a pipette holster onto mm. the hip. And uh, if you don't want to use it for a pipette, uh, some people don't want to do that in their labs. Uh, it's also great for like scissors or safety glasses uh, storage um, just to keep it you know out of your chunky pockets and just kind of cleanly on your hip. Mm. And uh, one other person said, uh, 
We have specific colors for different areas, such as red for tissue culture, blue for BSL-3, and gray for visitors. And that, that's a common theme. I've seen a lot mm. of people working with cells have three or four colors of lab coats for different steps of the process. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they said, we have to have a Howie-style coat, which means that the, the collar is uh, closed all the way up to the neck for bacterial safety. So they must also have a tight cuff uh, and, and go up to the neck. And so and that's just like over and over and over again, these comments are along those lines of, of what people need. Um, and I, I think we've solved most of them. I'm sure there'll, mm. there'll be more that come out. Uh, you know, once we actually start selling the lab coats and getting more feedback, I'm sure we'll, we'll find even more ways to make improvements. Yeah. Do you think you would ever um, consider doing like a life sciences specific one and then a chemistry specific one or yeah, anything like that? I really do want to do that. Um, I think we need a lot of inform- uh, more data from actually like from the first design, getting out there and getting the feedback from from microbiologists who are using it saying, hey, this one's great. But uh, for what I do, we actually need a few small tweaks. And, mm-hmm. you know, the first version is meant to be the most viable one, the kind of the, the crowd pleaser that most, people's, most people are able to use. But I would love to make uh, one that's got, you know, better chemical protection for chemists, better mm-hmm. um, biological protection for microbiologists. And then you could even do, um, you know, certain flame protection ones for people that are working with like lasers or mm-hmm. uh, different types of flames or the oil and gas industry. And most of that comes out of the materials, but it, it's also very tool specific. You know, microbiologists work with like PCR tubes a lot, for example, um, and pipettes and chemists might work with, you know, pipettes, but also a bunch of other uh, different spatula and tools and things like that. So I would love to fashion pockets um, and mm-hmm. loops that are kind of geared towards different specific uh, types of laboratories. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's really cool. And um and just the like the problem that you brought up before too of the the unisex lab coat it's it really i mean in a way it's it's it didn't bother me that much but in a way it would have been really nice to to not have to buy a big lab coat just so that it buttons the whole way down mm-hmm. <laughs> you know um so i think that will be really nice to have that where it's flared and um, and then something that, like I said before, something that people are going to feel good when they put on. So I think it's neat that you're doing this and um, it's interesting to hear the story and what all like your thought process with it. Um, is there anything else that you would want to mention about the project or about, you know, anything specific to microbiology or broadly just about, you know, what you're doing with this. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I could share a quote or two just to kind of make it a a little more uh, human um, when we're looking at all this data. So one uh, one woman said, the the snaps bust open if I move around because of my shape and the fact that at least one part will be hugely loose, knocking things over as I attempt to be careful. And she said, it has made me look incompetent so many times. Uh. That's um, really getting down to like, can you even feel professional? at work uh, when you're doing this. Um, Mm. And then another woman who uh, identified herself as being petite and having to wear the smallest, you know, men's unisex lab coat said, uh, being swallowed by a giant lab coat makes you feel like you are dressing up in a costume. It creates a strange imposter syndrome that whispers in your ear, you're not a real scientist. Wow. And those are 
those are just two out of, you know, got probably 500 quotes <laughs> that have <laughs> similar messages in them that really highlight how big of a problem this is. And, you know, if this weren't a big problem, there's no way a small business like ours would have been able to get 1500 survey responses uh, without yeah. a lot of uh, advertising. So I think we, we know it's a big problem and um, we think we have uh, something that will fix probably 80%, I, I would say, of the problems that we've been able to identify. And it's not going to be perfect, but it should be better than uh, what most people are using already. Hmm. Well, I think that for scientists, you know, the, the like most scientists, if you work at the bench, you're wearing a lab coat. And so it's it's an issue whether we really put any thought to it or not. Um so it's – and it, I, even just talking to you about it, it makes me realize that there were issues that I didn't even really think about. Um, you just – you put on your lab coat because that's what you're supposed to do, but it can go a lot deeper than just this, you know, thing that you have to wear for your job. Um, and in some ways, it's the thing that does make you feel professional, but then in some ways, like, the person said it can make you feel unprofessional or incompetent because you're knocking stuff over. So I think um, what you're doing is very important and, um, you know, it'll be exciting to see where it goes. So um, what what are the plans? Like when is it – when are they going to be available? Like what's next for this project? Yeah, so we are – finally going to open the pre-order on August 31st, 2023. Um, any of the social media accounts at, Gen at Genius Lab Gear will find it, uh, or if you get on our email list at geniuslabgear.com, you will definitely get notified when the pre-order opens. And we're giving ourselves six weeks to hit the crowdfunding goal of 600 lab coats, so 300 men's and 300 women's lab coats. And uh, if we don't hit that, with just saying that there's not enough demand for us and we will probably cancel the project, which would be really sad. Um, so I don't want that to happen, <laughs> but we, it's also, you know, I'm being very transparent about the cost. It's a $50,000 upfront investment for us to manufacture just the minimum run of mm -hmm. these lab coats for both the men's and women's. And so we're trying to raise about half that through the crowdfunding and then, and then we'll cover the other half. And so we are getting out there. I, I know we'll get, you know, at least one or 200 orders pretty quickly in the first day or two, just from people I've talked to. But I think we're going to need a little bit of help to get to the 600 in the pre-order. And uh, so I'm just asking people to tell their friends and, and ask their lab mates if they need one and try to do some group orders and get us to that 600 because, you know, we, we're giving ourselves six weeks to get there. But if we get there in two weeks, then everybody will get their lab coat a month earlier. And then, uh, you know, from the time that that pre-order goal is hit, assuming we get there, it'll take about five months to manufacture. So best case, we're looking at maybe February uh, 2024 for everybody to, to get their lab coats. And then that's actually where the real fun begins, because then we, we get to get it, get it out there and get more feedback. We're not going to stop taking feedback and taking data from people uh, and then just keep improving the design. And then hopefully if that if everything is going smoothly, we can start to add uh, more colors, different materials. Um, hmm slightly different designs going forward. Um, I really, 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 really want to add a maternity lab coat as well. It just is, mm. you can't buy one right now. There's been a few attempts in the past, but it, they're just not out there. And um, several of our beta yeah. testers have gone through pregnancies and lab coats 
and have <sighs> told me plenty of <laughs> the problems that we can try to fix. So yeah. uh, that's also uh, something I want to do going down the road. So can um, can people still fill out the survey? Or is it yeah, closed at, at this point? Oh, okay. We're going to keep the survey open forever. Uh, we're at yeah almost 1,600 responses now. And wow. uh, we, I keep, I mean, I read through every single comment and I redo <laughs> the data analysis every 500 or a thousand people or so. Um, and so we're going to keep doing that and keep splitting up the data, segmenting it more and more based on the work environments people are in to hopefully continue to develop uh, better solutions. So yeah, if you go to geniuslabgear.com slash LCP for lab coat project, that's the redirect um, that I've been using to get people to the right place um, without having to remember a, a long URL. Okay, so if they go there, they can find the survey too? Definitely. Yep, the survey is okay. right there at the top. Yeah, and then what what would you say is the best way, you know, because you asked, you're saying it's going to be really important for people to share this with their friends and lab mates, so what's the best way for them to go about sharing and, and helping get the word out on this? I would say, if, I mean, if they're active on social media, I would say go, go to our page and find your favorite post and reshare it. Uh, on your own page and, and tag us, that would be really helpful. And then honestly, just old fashioned email has been fantastic. A lot of people hmm. uh, will find that page, the geniuslabgear.com slash LCP, and they will forward it to, you know, five colleagues, maybe even at different inst institutions um, to just say, hey, this, I thought this was cool. You might think it's interesting. And we're going to try to get to uh, this pre-order goal. And hopefully if, uh, if this looks good for you, hopefully you can help. Great. And then you've got a newsletter as well. Is that right? So how can people um, sign up for that so that they can get all the updates and everything? Yeah. Uh, also on the on the website, you know, if you scroll all the way to the bottom, you'll find a, a newsletter sign up form. And so, yeah, every month I send out some helpful resources and a funny science cartoon and a couple other uh, news updates just to keep it fun and, and interesting. Just things I've been finding along the, the science internets uh, over the last month. And so that, that's been a lot of fun, too. Yeah. Well, I enjoy your newsletter and I'm sure others will too. So um, is there any other way that people need to know about finding or following or connecting with you before we go? I think that's it. That's, okay. that's where we're at. Well, thank you, Derek, so much for coming on here and telling us about the Lab Coat Project and Genius Lab Gear. I think this is really cool and I think it's going to help a lot of people. So, you know, thanks for sharing this. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for giving me a chance to get the, the message out there and make these voices um, heard. It's it's you know it's just a lot of data that I have in a spreadsheet, and it's really great to actually get to talk about it and and <laughs> get get the message out there. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Josie. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Joyful Microbe Podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. If you'd like to help others who love microbes to find the podcast, then please leave a rating and a review for the show and tell a friend. To learn more about the Joyful Microbe, head on over to joyfulmicrobe.com where you will find the show notes and all the links and resources mentioned. If you love Joyful Microbe and would like to support the show, you can do so by leaving a virtual tip through coffee. The link is in the show notes and on joyfulmicrobe.com at the bottom of the page. Thanks again, microbe friends. Talk to you next time.